need to be able to talk about sex. I will not start doing the salt and pepper song. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, DJ Spinderella, I'm not going there, but I'm ready to. Um, you need to be able to talk about turn-ons. You need to be talk able to talk about turn-offs and actions that you enjoy or don't enjoy. You may be one choice away from a thriving marriage. Welcome to the Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast with Brian and Jennifer Harvey. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. This is a recording from a live Operation Thriving Marriage experience that we did at New Life Church back in May of 2022. We had such a wonderful time there, and the participants that were there just gave us so much energy, and we always have a good time uh, doing these live events because of that energy and also uh, because we're able to interact uh, with the participants. We're able to do the Q&As, and uh, we're also able to hear their stories as well. So we're looking forward to more live events at your church, at military bases, and at retreats. So I hope you enjoy it, and don't forget to rate and subscribe. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're back from lunch. You probably don't know this about me, but as an attorney, I'm actually faculty for the Institute of Continuing Legal Education. So I teach other lawyers how to do what I do. So always for the last session of the day, um, we bring out a judge because people are going to be really excited to watch the judge. And oh my goodness, look at the session we're doing to close out the day today on <laughs> sex and intimacy. And we're going to be getting a, a lot of different you know, kinds of um, I suppose, reactions to seeing this just based on maybe how we were brought up in the church or not brought up in the church or how the church has handled things. And I, I think it's, it's just an interesting kind of place to be in because our American culture is very puritanical from one perspective because they, they can get kind of hushed tones about things and it should be like this and it shouldn't be like that. But also we can see in society, um, people have taken sex outside of marriage in significant kinds of ways. Um, so in talking about this, I, I just really want to acknowledge and put out there that we understand that talking about sex in church can be awkward because of all of this baggage. But the good news is we're here to lift off that baggage through God's word. And really and truly, when it comes to sex and that kind of expression in marriage, this is something that God has for us, that God has designed for us. The lie that I think permeates our culture and all cultures um, to an extent is that Satan wants us to think that he somehow created sex and it might be a necessary evil or it's a shameful kind of thing and that it's under his purview and his control. And that is just the farthest thing from the truth. Again, it's created by God. It's ordained by God. And we might be having husbands or wives saying amen right about now, depending on the kind of church uh, service that we would be involved in. But it's not common, I, I think, for sex to be talked about in church, because to an extent, when would you be doing that? I mean, if you ended up having a, a series here about sex, like an eight-part series, How's that going to work out, right? Because there might be kids hearing things and getting information too early. It might be kind of awkward for visitors coming in. But this is a place where you want to be learning about God's plan for sex and how he wants that to be best expressed within the appropriate context of marriage. And we'll get into that. We need to talk about, <clears throat> pardon me, lunch was really good. 
Um, we need to talk about that intimacy and sex are related, but they're not the same thing. We hear about that time and time again, but it needs to be part of the foundation we're going to talk about today. They are related, but they're not the same thing. So um, Cameron Lee and James Alfaro and their book, um, Preparing Couples for Marriage, wrote this, marital intimacy involves so much more than sex. It requires ongoing verbal and nonverbal messages that say, you're special, you're unique, I've chosen to be with you and only you. And that's what intimacy is. It's communicating that closeness in marriage that, hey, you are unique and special and important in a way that no other human will ever be to me. All right. Then um, Jack and Judy Balswick um, wrote um, that sex, um, they suggest rather that Christians, especially um, for them, love and sex requires relationship characterized by acts of love, acceptance, empowerment, and intimate knowing. To have a healthy sex life, it requires having a relationship that's built on mutual service and trust and building those relationships, that intimate knowing outside of the bedroom, that knowing each other, that naked, unashamed, in a sense of not just in the bedroom where we are physically intimate, but everything about me is bare and open to you so that you see everything in me, that your spouse sees everything in you to have a healthy, thriving sex life, have a healthy, thriving marriage. It's essential to have that intimacy outside the bedroom. And then um, Gary Chapman in his book, um, Toward a Growing Marriage, writes, couples who just do it often lack what they need to fulfill both the promise and purpose of the sexual relationship that God intended, not just procreation, but also pleasure and fulfillment of physical and emotional needs. I've heard about 10, 15 years ago, it was really in vogue, especially in the large um, evangelical megachurches, to do a series on sex. And it, that was kind of the thing, and it was getting all the rage. It was in newspapers. It was getting national media attention. There was a pastor down in Texas that his application point at the end of his sermon was, all you married couples, go have sex. And okay, <clears throat> we, we think that married couples should be doing that, absolutely. But Intimacy is much more than that. And it's not enough to, oh, we just had sex, so our marriage is going to be better. Yes, your marriage is going to be better with a healthy sex life, but you can't just force a thriving marriage by having sex. You have to have that intimacy in your marriage so that you have the thriving experience. So today, though, we're going to focus mostly on sex in our conversation today, because those intimacy topics often get taught in church more often. They're more familiar to you probably. And also, like Jen said, it can be awkward when you've got, especially at an undergrad church, you know, like, like New Life is here, but in every church, it can be awkward. Who's in the crowd right now? Who's listening? What's going on? What's going on in all these different relationships? So we're going to focus on that aspect of intimacy today. And as Ryan had indicated, if there's that little or no intimacy that is outside of the bedroom, that sex is going to be lacking. So it's important for your connection uh, to be significant and, um, and consistent uh, outside of the bedroom so that things are going to work out for you in the bedroom. Because what's interesting is God wants you to have a great sex life in marriage. And we also want you to have a good sex life within your marriage context as well. And lack of sex 
more often than not is not is not the cause of marital problems, but instead lack of sex is a symptom of much deeper marital problems. So yes, people could be struggling with potential past sexual abuse that has happened in their lives. They may might be ill. It might be something that's going on with a spouse, and there's nothing wrong with the marriage, um, but it might be something that that is limiting the sex that's able to be had in that kind of a, of, of a moment or period of time. Um, but uh, more often than not, that lack of sex is going to be a symptom of these marital problems. Statistically, according to Barry McCarthy and Emily McCarthy in Rekindling Desire, sex plays a 15 to 20% role in couples' overall happiness when they are doing well, but it plays a 50 to 70% role when they are in distress. So if a couple's distressed, their sex life is standing out more, but if they're not in distress, it's not as big of a thing. Um, And it's interesting, too, because when I've spoken to clients who are going through a divorce, they're remembering the last time they had sex, and I'm talking about by date and by details. And again, I'm not there to hear all the details, right? But I'm just sharing that with you to let you know that that is a significant kind of thing when couples are in distress and then when couples are ultimately going to be splitting up. Another thing that's to be kept important is it's definitely possible to be having sex but not be experiencing love. And that a good biblical example of that is going to be Leah and Jacob. Um, because if, if you're recalling in Genesis, Leah had children by Jacob, so of course they were having sex, but she was not experiencing that kind of love and she was feeling terribly unloved. Genesis 29 says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to become pregnant while Rachel, the second wife, the sister, drama in all kinds of ways there, while Rachel remained childless. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben for she said, the Lord has looked with pity on my oppressed condition and surely my husband will love me now but he did not. And they were obviously having sex beforehand and he didn't love her and she thought the child was going to. Sex is not love. When you have a healthy, intimate relationship, it is an expression of love. So our goal for this session is one, we want you to better understand the role and importance of sex in marriage. Because it doesn't get talked about very often, a lot of people just aren't informed about what God's plan is for sex. They hear it in premarital counseling. They hear it in youth groups. Hey, don't have sex before marriage. That's bad. They hear all of the just say no talks, but they don't hear about the, okay, now that you're married, what is sex? Just, hey, don't do it before marriage. And then when you're married, it's all good. And that's the communication that often goes out there. And we want to help show the Bible has a lot more to say about it. Um, And it's important to have a conversation about that. As well. And Brian, I also wanted to jump in to say, I think that some, some of the ways some churches have presented this, I think that they're trying to put in healthy boundaries and encourage unmarried people, especially in the teenage years, stay away from sex. It's a temptation. You know, this is not something for you to be doing. But sometimes I think either outright or somehow implied, it's saying sex is dirty and bad and wrong 
but I suppose you can do that in marriage and then that's okay. But it's not communicated in that positive way, in that positive gift that God has given to us. Or even if people are hearing those words, depending on the family they're coming out of, they're not hearing this as actually that gift from God. So we just really want to reclaim sex in church right now, in God's house, saying that this is from him. And also just, I mean, when we're talking about to premarital couples, we're doing premarital counseling, because of culture, because where we're at, a lot of them are already having sex. And one of the first things we tell them is stop. Because that experience, and we get into what sex is, all of that is going to make it more difficult for you to actually be prepared for marriage. Because you're not going to understand intimacy. Because you're rushing to this experience, which feels good, and it feels positive, but you're missing out on what your marriage be. And when you look at the statistics, marriages that thrive more often are the marriages that didn't have sex before marriage. Statistically, they tend to thrive better. They, t- they tend to end in divorce. That doesn't mean that if a- anyone's relationship, if they had sex before marriage, they're doomed to divorce because that's not true. Redemption is real. Salvation is real. Jesus is real. God is a God of second chances. It's not like, oh my gosh, I've ruined my life and my opportunities for marriage forever because of this choice. But we do when we're doing premarital counseling say, hey, you know what? Let's Stop that until you're married so we can focus on your relationship, prepare you for it. But the other thing we want you to get out of this one is we want you to have more comfort talking to your spouse about sex. One of the things we've found with couples, um, particularly in the the church, is because it's not talked about in church very much and the marital, marital intimacy isn't talked about, a lot of couples just aren't comfortable sharing about it and discussing it. And I know that was true for us when we first got married. It was well, yeah, this is something we want to do and this is important, but talking about it was awkward and weird. And it's just, it was very strange to talk about it because we hadn't been taught healthy ways to have these conversations in our marriage. And so we want you to be more comfortable sharing with your spouse about sex and talking about it. So we're going to start by talking about what is the purpose of sex in marriage? And the first one, of course, is procreation. That's obvious, right? Obvious This is the way biological sexual reproduction happens so we can have more humans in the world. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is a good thing. Having children is a positive thing. So that obviously is just one of the purposes. One of the things I want to hit on, though, is your marriage is not less godly if you have a problem with conception. Just because there are many couples that, for whatever reason, conception is more difficult And I'm sorry that that's your experience, and I hope that you're working through that if that's you. But I want you to know that sex and marriage, it's not just for procreation, and your marriage is still valuable in God's eyes, and God still has a lot for you in that. And procreation is not the only purpose of sex or the only purpose of marriage. Again, we talked about what the purpose of marriage is last night, and sex is just part of building that relationship. And of course, another um, reason for sex is pleasure. So as we talked about before, pleasure in sex is of God. It is not of Satan. And I'm saying that again, pleasure in sex is of God, not of Satan. Um, Proverbs uh, gets really into this, and I'm going to quote Proverbs 5. um, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in your young wife, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you at all times, and may you be captivated by her love always. And of course, 
Song of Solomon uh, in, ends up, or we call it Song of Songs in some translations. It's a colorful, metaphorical celebration of sex inside of marriage. So it, it's interesting because, again, we, we don't want to sound like we're, we're getting it in, into any kind of like vulgarity, if you will. But in Song of Solomon, there are things where it's very clear that they're talking about breasts and genitalia of both men and women. And Song of Solomon talks about men enjoying sex as well as women enjoying and desiring sex too. So God made this expression of love and intimacy for both genders. Yeah, it's important to remember that as you read Song of Solomon, it is poetry. And if you're not familiar with Hebrew poetry and what was going on, it's a little strange and weird and you don't know the culture. But let's just, without, again, not getting vulgar, fruit isn't really fruit when they're talking about fruit in just Song saying. of Solomon. It's, yeah. some, it's a metaphor for other things and enjoying such things. It's a big deal. I mean, there's a whole book of the Bible about this, about what sex is supposed to, the pleasure in sex, and they rejoice and glorify in that. And I think in, for Song of Solomon, it was something where that scroll could not be read until like little boys got older. I think that that was a thing in some and, Jewish traditions. In, cer in certain ways, certain synagogues and stuff. It's like, you know, this is maybe something that we shouldn't because it was very obvious to anyone reading it what they were talking about. And I'm thinking of like the middle school, like dudes in this gender Jewish synagogue grabbing it under their arms and reading it in the back. So I don't know, <laughs> probably didn't happen. Probably not, but it's entertaining because they definitely wanted to. I mean, any middle school child, you tell them they can't read it, then what do they want to do? They want to read. So, but also um, sex is there to strengthen the bond between a married couple, to strengthen that bond between the two of you. So biologically, oxytocin is the, the love hormone. It's the bonding hormone. This hormone, when it's released, the, that connects you and draws you closer at a chemical level with the person that you're with when that happens. It's the same hormone that a nursing mother produces when they're nursing a child. It helps make that connection. And that happens biologically in sex. You are biologically being bound to the person with whom you're having sex, which is one of the reasons having sex out of sight of marriage becomes so destructive because at a chemical level, your body is conditioning itself to have a long-term relationship with that person. So much so that cohabitating couples that are having sex, when they break up and they move out, they have the same psychological experience many times as a divorced couple because they've been so bonded together through what they've been doing. And while they're not getting all the benefits of marriage, as the research shows, they're still getting, that bonding happens and it still rips them apart and they have a lot of the same emotional trauma from that. So that's part of what sex does. Um, Barry McCarthy um, in Rekindling Desire writes, a prime function of sexuality is to reinforce and deepen intimacy. And what really is interesting to me is, so every culture has euphemisms about sex. I mean, it's one of those things, how do you talk about it? You kind of talk around it. The biblical euphemism, and oftentimes you miss this because they'll translate it as he laid with or he had sex with his wife. But the biblical word, the actual Hebrew word for that is the word yada, which means to know. The biblical euphemism for sex is, and he knew her, and she became pregnant. There's an intimacy that's thought about. The Hebrew writers of Scripture are already communicating in this euphemism that, hey, there's something about 
having sex that brings you closer together. Um, N.T. Wright in After You Believe writes, like God's love, the love of spouses generates new creation both in the procreation of children and in the creation of a warm, secure, and hospitable home. It draws you together. It makes your relationship healthy and strong and helps you experience all of those things that marriage is intended to be, that lifelong, mature, fulfilling love. All of those things that we talked about last night are strengthened through having sex. But sex must be used to cherish your spouse. Your spouse must not be used to cherish sex. Do, you cannot objectify one another and say, oh, this is just for, hey, we're getting this pleasure. No, sex is about you as a couple being drawn together more intimately, stronger than you were before. Objectification is always sin. Objectifying your spouse, seeing them as only a person or an object of your pleasure is always sin. And that happens sometimes. We've got to remember this is about humanizing each other to each other, not dehumanizing as just a, an object for pleasure. And when it comes to communication about sex, it's such an important thing to do. We just uh, gave a, a, a more lengthy presentation just a little bit ago when it came to communication in general. And this is also applicable to communication in regards to sex. And I think it's just very common where people will think, well, we're married, we love each other, we're attracted to each other, so this should just happen very naturally without any kind of a need to communicate about anything at all, period, the end. And individuals will even presume that their spouse wants the same things that they want, um, or they should know what they want or what to do just because of their natural love for each other. And while I'm hearing that love is true and wanting what's best for the spouse and, and wanting the spouse to have a very positive experience, if you will, right? Um, it's, it is something where sometimes you do need to be talking about things and addressing things. And I would even say more often than not, you should be talking these kinds of things through because it's okay to be unexpected that you're going to have some different sex drives and different expectations about what sex is going to be like and, and how you want things to be happening. And as a couple, the goal is to integrate these kinds of differences into a common bond because there might be something that you're thinking about that your spouse is thinking about as well but hasn't talked to you about yet. So you putting that out there um, it can be a really positive experience, or maybe your spouse could react and say, hey, that, that's kind of not my thing, not interested in that happening. But make sure you're having those conversations and your foundational um, perspectives just as to trust and relying on your spouse, knowing that it's a permanent relationship, it's going to weather disagreements, uh, whether it's inside the bedroom or outside of the bedroom. And Oftentimes for women, and I'm not saying all the time, but oftentimes for women, the path to sexual intimacy is going to be that emotional connection. And sex is often undesirable uh, for women in times of great stress and pressure. And so those are some of the differences. And for men, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, the path to the emotional connection is through sexual intimacy. 
And oftentimes for men, sex is a stress reliever. It's one of those that men will be relieved from stress through sex, not they need to relieve their stress beforehand. And so these are just some of the common differences between men and women, and not always the case, but that you need to be aware of and have these conversations and be prepared to discuss them together uh, in moments of uncertainty, according to, um, again, it was in preparing couples for love and marriage. In moments of uncertainty, a partner can wonder if he or she is desirable and will ultimately fear rejection. Reacting to this fear, the other partner may pull away, heightening the tension between them. This is a common pattern for distressed couples, one that can be particularly painful when their sexual relationship is on the line. So here, here's what happens if at some point there is a difference in desire, a difference in what, they, what a couple wants to do, there's a fear that I may not want to communicate that because you'll, you might reject me. And then the person that, so wife is afraid of being rejected, as an example, it's just, it's too hard to say spouse, 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 because no one knows what I'm talking about then. So if the wife is afraid of saying something that she wants, because she's afraid her husband will reject her. So now you've got this barrier between, and now the husband is responding to that barrier saying, she's distant, she's disconnected. Our sex life isn't what it used to be or what I want it to be because there's a disconnect between us. So now he's pulling away and there's this repeated, this feedback loop of just pulling away from each other. And all that it takes is just having a conversation about, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. And we need to be prepared to have those conversations. And couples um, are often having issues with this kind of a thing and can even become disappointed because they have very unrealistic expectations that are stemming from family um, from friends, from the media, and that can lead to frustration and disappointment. Um, a friend of mine that I went to high school and college with, she said, I'm glad that I'm finally married because I used to be having sex before I got married. And she had kind of a, a long list that was kind of like dr arrows drawn to who knew each other. It's kind of an odd kind of thing. It was thing. like and a Sex in the City episode, actually. It was really weird, but anyway. Only it was real life, um, and they didn't have good writers, so it wasn't as amusing. And, and in any event, um, what happened was she said, I was, I'm glad that I'm married and having sex because I can now talk to my mom about sex, which to me that struck me as kind of odd, but I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that it is. That, that was kind of a workable thing with her family. Um, but it, it, what's interesting is TV and the movies, I think, just have such an impact on us, whether we know it or not, or whether we want it to or not. So my favorite TV show ever, hilariously, is The Golden Girls, okay? And if you know that show, I am taller than B. Arthur. That's, you know, Dorothy in the show kind of thing. I'm five foot ten. She was five foot nine. And in watching that show, it's these women in their 50s who are single, who are having adventures, especially if you know who Blanche Devereaux, played by Rue McClanahan, was. But it's a very unrealistic thing because they keep going in and out of these relationships where they're having sex, and it seems like it might be a new boyfriend for every episode, depending on the character. And it's hilarious because it's fiction. Because if that were to really be happening, there would be a lot more pain in dealing with these breakups. But that's not amusing for a sitcom. Um, another one that, that you've seen, this is hilarious too. 
Sex in the City. Okay, so this is like, you know, way back, some, some years back, but more recent than The Golden Girls. Side note, I was watching The Golden Girls when I was seven. You know, pray for my parents and me with that kind of thing, right? Um, but with Sex in the City, I'm watching this at three o'clock in the morning when I'm breastfeeding my daughter in reruns on TBS. I have not seen the real version of it, and I'm admitting that. And some people are smiling, saying, oh my goodness, Jennifer, you kind of missed out on some stuff. And maybe that's better for me that I missed out on that. But you've got Samantha, the character, who's out there in bed hopping with everybody. She has no kinds of remorse about this. And it almost seems like the writers were trying to pit her as more of like a dude character who was doing some of that bed hopping. But guess what? Men have feelings as well. And doing these kinds of things where you're having sex with multiple people, it can be very hurtful. But we're seeing that glamorized on television. But we do always repeat in these seminars time and time again, regardless of your past, God can redeem you, will redeem you, will redeem your marriage, and you can have a really fantastic sex life within your marriage relationship right now. And as a matter of fact, the, the funny thing is the actress uh, who played Samantha in Sex in the City, she came out with a sex book in the early 2000s. But when she co-wrote this with her husband at the time, and what she put in there was the key to a great sex life is find true love and be honest. And doesn't that really fit more in with the reality that God gives us in that? There are also significant problems in our culture right now when it comes to pornography and erotica that has a negative impact on marriages. Um, pornography, um, in the 1970s, the U.S. Supreme Court said, I know it when I see it. So you've got all of these old dudes and they're just like watching films to determine if it's pornography or not, kind of ridiculous. But again, that was the 1970s Supreme Court. But with pornography, it's something that's so pervasive that people can get on their phones and so many men, so many godly men and women too can get caught up in that. that. The statistic used to be that when there was a pastor's conference, the hotel bills for pornography would skyrocket. So it's a problem that, again, is absolutely pervasive even throughout the church. This is something you really need to guard your hearts on, I would say, just for the men, but for women too. Erotica is essentially those trashy novels that, you know, in the 80s, I think the dude's name Fabio, we remember him, right? I, I don't know what he looks like because he's like grandpa age these days, right? But it was just this kind of escapism where women primarily, of course, guys could, could potentially look at that or read that as well. They're getting caught up in all these trappings of things that are happening and probably wishing that their husbands were, were like the guys described in the book. It's toxic and it's damaging, just like pornography is toxic and damaging. It, you need to get out of that. You need to get away from that. If you're involved in, in looking at that, if you're tempted to look at it, get away from it. If you need to talk to a pastor, talk to a counselor, talk to a therapist, that is a little fox that doesn't stay little for long. It's going to get big and bigger and bigger. You owe it to yourself, your spouse, your marriage, your kids. Get out of that as soon as you possibly can. Research shows that couples that have sex once or twice a week report, ready for the stats? This is kind of fun. Okay, very, that it's very good 20 to 25% of the time. It's good 40 to 60% of the time. Fair, I don't know if anybody would want to rank that as fair, but here we are, uh, 15 to 20% of the time. 
and um, dissatisfying five to 15% of the time. And of course, we're sharing this kind of a stat with you, and we're not saying this is a metric where you need to compare yourselves to this, but it's just something to show that the expectations that we're receiving are often skewed in such a way as that's going to make you feel bad about yourselves or, or drive you further apart than closer together. So it's important to just discuss, hey, these are what the expectations are. Again, we're back to unexpectations, and we get these false expectations from all over the place about what our sex life should be like. And sex sells. It's true. So we are inundated with sexual images and sexual concepts and sexual ideas. And that can't help but affect how we think about it. So we need to have these conversations about, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. And we need to go back to scripture. What is good for us as a couple? Um, also, we need to just address that there may be difficulties with sex in your marriage, and that's okay. That can happen. Experts estimate that more than 75% of couples will confront a sexual issue at some point. 75% of couples will have something in their marriage that creates some sort of difficulty in, um, in their marriage, in their sex life. And one is preferences, just different preferences, different, um, not going to get into that because that could just get degrade into like middle school humor, but these different preferences that you have. I mean, you weren't born with the same preferences. You had developed different ways. Um, so your preferences about sex are going to possibly be different. Frequency, how often? And that's going to depend on stage of life. It's going to be a nursing mother is all touched out at the end of the day. That's just true. They've been touched so long by the child who they are responsible for keeping alive that frequency is often less, not always, but often less during the time when you have infants because exhaustion, things like that. So you're going to have different opinions. If you're not the one touched out at the end of the day and the other is, you have different ideas of how frequent this should be. Quality, different ideas of what the quality is. Um, one of the things that can create some difficulties with sex is infertility. Sometimes it's hard to be open to the pleasure and the connection of sex when you're trying to have children and you can't. And it's sometimes difficult for both men and women to feel sexy, to feel like this is a positive thing, to feel attractive if for whatever reason on the male or female side is preventing um, a child being born. Um, medical issues. Sometimes there's just a medical situation that makes sex difficult or even for a time impossible that may need medical intervention. Now that, that can happen and that's okay, but you need to talk about it and deal with it and don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of as guys get older and testosterone tends to decrease. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just something to talk about together and deal with. There's a lot of things that can happen medically that you have the conversation together. And then emotional issues. Again, definitely if um, one of the spouses was abused, was raped, there was something like that, that's going to create trauma that may need counseling to get through that. There may be something going on and that has to be addressed, but it's okay. Don't be surprised, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed if in your marriage, sex isn't going the way you want it to the way it was earlier. Because again, 75% of couples are going to experience some sort of issue in their sex life. And rather than being embarrassed and hiding from it and just say, okay, well, that's just not part of our marriage anymore. You have that conversation and work through that together. 
And in government, we call 75% a supermajority. So again, all good. Nobody should feel bad about anything like that. But to have that thriving sex life and to build that physical intimacy in your marriage, you need to be able to talk about sex. I will not start doing the salt and pepper song. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, DJ Spinderella, I'm not going there, but I'm ready to. Um, you need to be able to talk about turn-ons. You need to be talk able to talk about turn-offs and actions that you enjoy or don't enjoy. And what we're challenging to you to do is to talk about these questions, either when you get home or on the way home, right? Um, what is something about your spouse that particularly turns you on? This is a good question. I think you guys are going to like this. I think you're going to like the answers even more. And also share about a sexual experience that you've had together that was particularly exciting or satisfying or memorable. And I'm seeing wheels start to turn, and I can't wait until you guys have these conversations together. But yeah, that's the big thing is just it's okay to talk about sex with your spouse. It's okay to have those conversations. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you will have more fulfilling sex if you're more open in your communication about it. If you talk about, hey, this, the thing, the turns on, the turn offs, all those things, we talk about everything else that we want our spouse to do and not do. We we're comfortable talking about parenting. We're comfortable talking about keeping house. We're comfortable talking about vacation. This is something we need to be comfortable talking about. And it's okay for the drive and what you want to do to change throughout it. Sex is a, is a healthy and important part of marriage. It's a means for procreation, yes, and it's a source of pleasure. But more importantly, it strengthens the bond of a couple. It draws you closer together. And now that you understand that, that we've talked about this, we hope that you'll be better able to communicate so that you can have that healthy, stronger, thriving marriage. We hope you enjoyed this replay of our live Operation Thriving Marriage Experience. And we're ready to come to you to do an Operation Thriving Marriage Experience with your church or with your ministry. To get more information, you can go to operationthrivingmarriage.com.